where there's just so many people who don't understand the simple difference between an asset and liability. And unfortunately, we live in a culture that hasn't really made an importance of that in an education. And luckily, I do see it changing. Helping you to succeed, teaching like nobody else. Okay. Financial empowerment, giving you strategies for generational wealth. So you can start helping yourself. More money for you to be getting. This the moment for you to be winning and be living financially independent. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Market Hustle episode. This is episode 14. And again, we're just continuing to roll right through these. We have another special guest today. But before we introduce him, I want to introduce our co-host. So we have the full team here today. Again, we have Pierce, and we also have Bafi. Pierce, how are you doing today, man? Can't complain, man. Just got off of work. It was a beautiful day, 72 degrees today. So it's a windows down type of day. I'm enjoying the sunshine, and it's a great day today, man. I'm excited to be doing this tonight. Dude, yeah, you look comfortable out there. For everybody who doesn't see the visual, Pierce is chilling in his backyard. <laughs> looks nice weather out there. He's got the pool in the background, and sure. he's uh, munching on those uh, dark chocolate cherries from Trader Joe's, right? Shout out. <laughs> those are good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, Buffy, how are you doing, my friend? You're doing good, man. Fun fact, I used to work at Trader Joe's way back in my day, so I, I loved it. Yeah, it's such a great experience, but I'm doing better than good as usual, enjoying the weather. Um, it's Friday, so it's payday. Things are great. You know, looking forward to the weekend. Stock market is doing great, thanks to NVIDIA coming in as the, uh, essentially the, the vanguard or the flagship of this entire market right now. So excited to learn more about Jack and his story, and hopefully the audience enjoys this episode. 100%. Yeah. And Buffy, we've been, you know, we've been going back and forth on NVIDIA for probably about a little over a year now. And I know you bought in quite a while ago, right? Yeah. I bought it years ago. And I, so I yeah. got in at $75 <laughs> a share and I've been averaging all the way up <laughs> until now to the point where I even right before the day before the earnings, I bought some more, you know, I doubled down a bit. So it's just been an exciting journey to see it go up over time. So yeah. Very cool. Cool. Awesome. Well, it's great to have both of you back here. Uh, that being said, let's roll right into it. So we have Jack here. Uh, Jack, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Similar to Pierce. Uh, I live in the mountains of North Carolina, so we've had excellent spring weather. It's, uh, I say when it when it doesn't snow much, I want it to jump right into spring. If it's, if it's going to be cold and no snow, then let's just go to spring. Um, and we've had some excellent weather. It's been about 55 each day and sunny, which is perfect nice. for me. And uh, right now it's cold outside, but um, it gets below freezing at night here, but other than that, it's beautiful weather. Um, work has been great and I uh, have some travel plans coming up soon. I love, I, I think I can speak for a lot of people, but maybe, maybe especially for men, I love the planning of traveling almost okay. as much as the travel experience itself. So um been doing a lot of, of planning for traveling too. So that's been a lot of fun. What spots do you got planned out right now? What are you kind of thinking about? Wife and I are taking a trip to... Uh, Mexico in about a month. Nice. Uh, yeah, about a month. And then um, another trip to some local trips in this region, just to Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina. And then uh, maybe another trip to Colorado. We always try to get, get out to Colorado in the summer when it's when it gets really hot here in the south, um, just to get away from the heat. And then um, then another trip in, uh, in the fall. We always do a trip in the fall. I love doing spring and fall trips because there are less people and they're cheaper flights. So... Makes sense to me. Well, cool. Yeah, it's great to have you on the podcast. I can't wait to uh, kind of unwind through your story and, uh, you know, ha help you share with our audience your lovely insights and everything you've learned throughout your financial journey. That being said, uh, why don't you just share a little bit about your like career background, uh, maybe, um, 
you know, how old you are and as well as just your general kind of investing journey, maybe like a 60 seconds snippet of your, of your highlights, I guess, if you will. Okay. Um, I majored in political science in college and I wanted to be a teacher. I went back and forth with the military and being a teacher and I just stuck with being a teacher because that was almost what my family had done. And I, I loved doing it. I love teaching people things that, that I love to learn about. Um, and I went into teaching and about the first year I was, I was, uh, disoriented with what teaching really was, especially to public school. Um, but I was able to teach a little bit of economics. Um, I didn't major in that, but I, I had to do some courses in it and I was enough to get qualified to teach in uh, North Carolina and Georgia at the time. And there was one little piece at the end. That's what got, that's what got me fired up about personal finance. I feel like myself in personal finance, I've always been pretty, uh, pretty good. I was more. Um, more of a saver and less of an investor in my teen years. I would save everything I could. And I didn't really know much about investing until I got to college. And, uh, but when I was teaching economics, there was two weeks at the end of the year that was dedicated towards personal finance. And I was teaching seniors. So imagine being a senior sitting in my class in May, uh, two weeks left to graduate and you have to learn about another (laughs) topic. Um, and so I was like, this is not enough. This is this is crazy that this is not a a requirement in high school. Um, and it should be even it should be taught even as early as, as elementary school. Um, so I got really fired up about that and I wanted to teach more and more. So I kept pressing my administrators to do that more and more. And um, I was reaching out to some nonprofits and some other organizations. Shout out to Next Gen Personal Finance. They're a huge organization that's that's helping to bring financial resources to um, public schools and schools that aren't usually getting well-funded. Um, awesome. And they've done a great job and I'm, I'm a member of their organization. It's been awesome to, to join in on that, on that uh, mission. Their mission is to bring, to make every high school by 2030 have a personal finance standalone course, not like an economics, personal finance course, a standalone personal finance course just for seniors in order to graduate. Um, Jack, so that's six more years. A yeah. quick question, real quick. So, like, I'm curious, like, what some, what was some of the pushbacks that you got from some of the administrators in the, um, at your specific high school? Because, like, I feel like almost everybody, if you ask them, like, hey, should we like teach finance in school or personal finance in school? Like, almost everybody agrees. Like, there's a there's a big consensus of like this should be taught in schools, especially with how serious you know finances are, how money is, like how much money impacts our life. Like the fact that they don't even really teach. It's not really a requirement in all like na- nationwide to teach some sort of personal finance course is absolutely nuts to me. Like, I feel like there, it should be a much bigger part of an education, but I'm just curious, like what's, what were some of the pushbacks that you got when you tried to advocate for making a, you know, personal finance course, that was a bigger part of the education curriculum. So this was, this was before Georgia required it. Uh, they just, they just passed it. I think it was during COVID actually some 2020, 2021. Um, and I think now it's, it usually takes like four or five years to get through legislation. So now it's it's a requirement. But when I was talking to other teachers and figuring out like other school and other districts, what was the biggest pushback they had too, and what was the pushback we had as a, at, a, at my local school board district? If you don't, if there's no standard standardized test connected to it, there's no funding, so they can't hmm. they can't push another teacher onto that um, because they don't have the funding to finance. Excuse me to to um, train another teacher to take over like the subjects. If I was teaching, say I was teaching three uh, courses of civics and three courses of economics, 
they can't finance, they can't find, especially for public schools, they can't fund another teacher to take over those other three courses when I, while I go teach personal finance. So uh, basically, if there's no test, you don't teach it. And that's kind of how the, the mantra has been. Um, and it's gotten better. It's it's much better than when I was in high school. Um, I'm 30. You asked how, how old I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm 30 now. Uh, so when I was teaching, around as a student, there was no personal finance. Um, now, this year, there half the states require personal finance. So that's one big milestone. It's awesome. still not enough because uh, some of these schools, I've audited some of their programs. Some of these schools, they don't get away, especially public schools. That's, that's the biggest one that we need to focus on. Some of the public schools, they'll get away with throwing a personal finance course in like a, uh, a business marketing course and counting that. So it that checks the, it check, checks the box. Uh, whenever Creative. they get audited by the, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's smart, efficient funding for that school board, but it's not doing the students justice. That's the biggest thing mm-hmm. um, that they're missing out on. So, uh, yeah. So the biggest answer to your question is, is there's no, there's lack of funding and lack of training for teachers too. I can speak from a, from a student's perspective. I mean, I graduated four years ago now, but my junior year of high school, we were um, forced quote unquote to take a, a personal finance course. And so I grew up with my dad teaching personal finance courses through our church and through other other places. And my dad focused primarily on Dave Ramsey courses, um, Financial Peace University, if people are familiar with that one, who, who are listening. And so I got to school and I'm all excited about learn learn more about it. And it was the Dave Ramsey course, the same course that I was helping my dad teach for the four years before that. And the amount of people that didn't take that seriously was astronomical to me. I mean, it, it really was crazy because in that course, it teaches you how, how to you know balance a checkbook, how to set a budget, how to pay off debts. And most people in my class absolutely flunked it. Like you said, there was no standardized test for us to take at the end of the year. So I feel like there wasn't really a, a push to actually try with it because the teachers were just going to pass you anyways. I mean, not to shun the teacher who taught us, but he was a football coach. And so I'm like, okay, so they're just throwing this on this guy's lap because he's just got an extra period. So I'm like, I don't know, dude. I I found it kind of kind of funny that because I went to a public high school here in California, and I I find it funny that people just don't take it seriously. I mean, I think by 2030, if we have all these initiatives and pass the legislation, like you're saying, I hope that people start taking this seriously because it's super important to learn at a young age. I agree. I agree. This is something that Josh and I deliberate about quite often as as we see more news and things coming up and it becoming more mainstream. That's something we are very excited about. And, and Jack, um, I know you did mention some of the challenges and pushback that you see within the, especially the public school si- uh, system. What are some of the things that, you know, you've been able to kind of, because part of it is also an education process, like even on the, on the board and the admin side. So what are some of the things that you think you've been able to do that has helped kind of you know, improve the odds of these things being more priority, becoming more as a, a priority. So uh, that kind of that kind of helps me finish kind of my career story with my formal career story in a way. Uh, about four or five years into teaching, I, I was I was doing some more personal finance stuff, so that was fun. Uh, and I was running a few businesses on the side. I was helping. I became known in my circle as the finance guy, so people came to me for advice and stuff, and even students were asking me for for things. Uh, and I quit during, I quit teaching at, at that public school after my fifth year, and I transferred to a charter school, which has a little bit more leeway. And this was in the height of COVID, and they they said, Jack, just take take this course and just teach these kids personal finance if you want to. It, there's no state test. I don't know if y'all remember during COVID, there were no state tests uh, for a year at least. 
Um, they canceled all state tests. I don't know about every state. I can't speak for every state. Um, and this was amazing for me because I was able to take this course, this personal finance course, and teach however I, however I wanted, except it was all on Zoom and only twice a week. So I was only downside. And this was a, a, an awakening for me because I was teaching these 30 kids or whatever in the Zoom classes. And I would have breakout sessions and they're they're doing projects like budgeting with roommates. Uh, they're figuring out how to um, go through a, a tax form. They're figuring out how to start investing. They're I had to have like fun little activities where they had to put a mutual fund together and all that. And uh, there was a few times about eight or nine weeks into one of the, the semesters, I see a parent involved with with the students work and they were actually taking notes. I think the her, her, her daughter or whatever went to the bathroom. And we were supposed to call out when we see a random adult that we never seen before in the video. And we're supposed to call an administrator in or whatever. And I so I called it out. I was like, hey, who are you? I've never seen you before. And she said, oh, I'm so-and-so's mom. And I've been taking notes. And she she had a, a huge stack. She was showing me all of her notes that she's wow. been taking throughout the whole entire semester. And then a bunch of other, after that, she kind of like opened the door. A bunch of other parents and grandparents and cousins and brothers and whoever else was in the videos. Dogs, they were all, they were all in. <laughs> sharing their stories like yeah we, we've never been taught this so now this is our chance to learn through it. through this and that was huge for me and uh, unfortunately I, I just i got so burned out with with some of the state testing requirements that i did quit that year but that was my sixth year teaching was was my favorite year even though it was the year i quit because i learned so much i was able to grow so much and, and realize there's so much more out there um in personal finance there's some more there's so many more people I know teens need it, but I feel like there's a good wave of teachers focusing on that right now. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a ton. Dave Ramsey's one of the big programs that's helping Next Gen Personal Finance, Jumpstart. Uh, there's a few others I can't name right now, but a bunch of organizations that are really pushing teaching personal finance. And I think my generation, millennials and older Gen Zs, I think they 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 got sick. They they feel like they missed out on something. And to answer your question, Buffy, I think they uh enough pushback they're like well we weren't taught this and this this huge financial struggle that people are facing right now with inflation not being able to buy a house uh low income depending on their job that <clears throat> i think that there's so much support for these programs because of of our generation right now uh struggling that people are like okay we gotta we gotta fix something um so i think that's that they're getting so much support and funding and, and awareness mm -hmm. now that they're pushing they're pushing more financial literacy in public and private schools well awesome even the trend like there's been a massive trend of a lot of school <clears> districts <throat> like starting to pass it as a requirement like I, I think a lot of class a lot of school programs have like said that they've checked the box of personal finance kind of like kind of like what you were touching on jack earlier where they make they might have like an economics course and then they throw in like a couple of days where they talk about writing a check or how to quickly write a budget. It's not like really depth. There's like, there's no real depth behind it. Um, so it, it's nice to see that there is a, a trend in heading in the right direction where school districts are starting to get more serious about teaching these crucial concepts, like even just how to budget or even just about the stock market, like just learning stock market 101, like how, what even is a stock? What even is a dividend? Like just teaching the difference between an asset or a liability will do people wonders as they kind of go throughout their life, um, making money and and trying to change the trajectory of their own financial situation in a positive direction. Um, but it, it's been that's actually super interesting to hear more about the back end of how the schools kind of figure out who 
what classes kind of get added in. Like I didn't realize the funding part of it when it's, I didn't realize how tight it was to like testing, which is, yeah. I mean, that could be a whole other discussion in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's definitely eye opening. Um, I'm curious though. It's like when you're going through and like constructing these curriculums um, for classes, how difficult is it for you to kind of include what needs to be included? Because personal finance is such a broad spectrum of things. Like you can include so many different topics into that, you know, taxes, you could include budgeting, you could include money management skills, you could include investing and investing in itself could be broken down into four different categories. So I'm I'm curious, like how you went about selecting what to include in these um, curriculums and also um, how much like flexibility you had in that? Like, did you have like a um, some sort of group or that you had to kind of get, you know, consensus on, like when you're building out these curriculums. Uh, but I'd love some more like information on on that side of things. Yeah, that's a good question. When I was in the public school, definitely you have to, everything has to be approved because they have to, uh, they have to audit your lessons. They have to audit your curriculum. <clears throat> and this has to be approved by uh, at least two administrators and the school board has to approve it. There's a bunch of, bunch of stuff too, especially for a new course like personal finance. Uh, if you were to, if I were to introduce a new course um, into the into a public school that doesn't have it right now, there would be there would have to be all types of of uh, bureaucracy basically to go through. Um, and sometimes it could be chill; it just depends on the administrators. Uh, but usually, I would. It depends on the standards I have to follow. If the state has a standard, I do have to include those, and that gets that can be pretty tough, uh, especially if they want taxes being taught first. That's not fun. I'm not doing that. Yeah, and I've. But sometimes you have to, or you lose your job. So um, that's that is a tough part where you have to determine how how can I how can I still um, answer to the state requirements, but also teach these kids what they need to know. Uh, so that that is a difficult thing to do. And the best thing is is to bring in the real world. You can show them like what the state stuff needs, and I, that's what I always did. I would show them what the state requirements stuff were, and, and we test on it, and we'd be good. And then I would always leave at least 10, 20 minutes at the end of a class or a, maybe even a, a finance, I call them finance Fridays, like a fun finance Friday where we actually did something real that they're really going to do in real life um, and handle with their personal finance. Thankfully, the charter schools, uh, they let me have free reign. Um, with nice. However, the, there was no state test. I didn't test at all that year. It was the best year of my life for, for testing. And <laughs> uh, I, I didn't do any state test. I didn't do any any uh, multiple choice test. I think I did some quizzes here and there, but no like summative uh, assessment. So in that year, I focused on basically how I would structure. Now I'm a financial coach. I would structure how I would approach a client. Um, and every client's different, and every every person is a different uh, part of the journey in their in their financial journey. But I did the best I could to focus on like unit one was financial literacy. Why are we learning this stuff? What's the psychology uh, and behavioral finance side of things? Unit two would be like budgeting. Unit three would be income. Um, what what happened when you get your first paycheck? Basically, how you can how can you divide that up? Um, and so on and so forth, and it goes through until the ends, like investing and all that kind of stuff. Wow. So powerful, man, Jack. I, I think you know the impact you're having is 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 incredible, and there's it, it, definitely um, something special about it, and a, and a really good positive energy around it. And so the fact that your efforts alone to increase access to the students, in some ways, also created a chain reaction to where our parents are listening in and taking notes, and also improving their own finances 
And so for anybody that's listening to this episode, I know that there are times where you might feel like you can't make a difference. You're all but one person. And I'm here to tell you, and Jack's story literally, um, you know, agrees with this, and is that you'll be shocked how much you can actually impact lives just by taking that initial step, right? Just by really putting your best foot forward, trying to do the right things for the right reasons, for the people. And you, and it, it turns into, it takes shape and it, it transforms, it becomes a live entity. So anybody that's listening that might feel like, hey, there's something that they're passionate about that they want to kind of, you know, dive into or share with others or try to get others to learn more about, don't hesitate. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid. Be afraid and do it anyway, you know, because I mean, we're all human. So there's those challenges there, but definitely don't let that idea die. That's That's really the main gist of that comment there. Oh, this is pretty cool, Jack. Real quick, um, I know that you 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 began budgeting quite early or early on a bit, and so you started at the age of eighteen. Can you tell us a little bit more about why you prioritized, you know, budgeting and what you did and how it really improved your life and your finances? I think when I started, it wasn't it didn't come from a healthy uh, mindset with money. I was in a scarcity mindset, and it still affects me today. Um, and where I wasn't going to have enough at all at all times, so I'd saved and, and hoarded, and it's still something I tr- I struggle with today. So for everybody out there listening, that even if you master it, there are some weaknesses, and, and I I feel like as a personal finance expert, that it's good for me to share this with people that I struggle with some personal finance things too. Still, uh, even though I I've read thousands of books on finance and I've taught this and I've taken all types of financial literacy courses in order to teach it. There are still things I struggle with, so I, I got to give myself some mercy and some grace every now and then. Um, but the the uh, biggest part was I, I wrote everything down when I first started budgeting. I didn't have there was no budget apps. I didn't have a smartphone then, so I'm showing my age a little, just a little bit. Um, there weren't there weren't smartphones. I mean, there might have been smartphones actually. I just didn't. They were expensive, and I didn't have one. So I wrote everything down, and um, which was helpful. And it helped me to to see, but, but also to control and give myself a little bit of independence too. And my parents never taught me how to budget. They were they were smart with their money, um, so that instilled some values in me, which I think was a good foundation, just to how I, with how I dealt with money. Um, but that scarcity mindset always just creeped in. So writing everything down definitely helped me to um, to show like how much. I mean, I wasn't spending much at eighteen anyway, so it wasn't much to write down. Kind <laughs> of a broke college student at that time, um, but. <clears throat> Help me get a plan going, at least figure it out. And I didn't have any training for this. I just wrote it down. I didn't look up any YouTube videos at the time. I just started writing all my expenses down and uh, keeping up with my income, balancing. I was literally balancing a checkbook. No one does, nobody does that anymore. But I was literally balancing a checkbook until about I was about 21. And then, uh, then I started some other you know, Excel sheets and some more advanced budget stuff. Uh, but that was huge just to, just to set that initial foundation and some people get into the finance journey in a different way i feel like a lot of people jump right into the investing piece which is great which is awesome but that's it's a little bit more sexy than budgeting so i, I get it um it's a little bit more fun than budgeting or some people jump into the debt payoff uh, uh situation because because of their life um and all of it's good but i i'm so glad and, and thankful that I, that budgeting was was my initial like uh intro into finance so to speak I'm curious, Jack. So like when you when you sat down for like the first time with your pen and paper and you were just kind of writing down your expenses, maybe even writing down like how much money you had coming in, was it kind of shocking to you? Like, did you kind of like realize that you underestimated where your money was going during that time? 
No, I, I had a good grasp on it. Again, I wasn't spending much. Um, I, I was playing football in college too, so I didn't have time to spend money. Okay. Um, so I think the the shocking thing was was I thought I was making a lot of money, uh, and I, w- I was only working summers. I was uh, I was hauling furniture for an auction company. One one of my favorite jobs, ten dollars an hour cash. Um, <laughs> it was an awesome job. I did it for five summers from fifteen to to twenty, I think twenty or twenty one, so five or six years. But um, I thought I was bringing in a ton of money and that was the biggest shocker. I think that I was not bringing in that much money because I was only working the two or three months in the summer and then back to school for nine months. Um, so, was, you know, it was two, two to 5,000, uh, annual income and, and, uh, wasn't great, but I wasn't spending anything either. So that was nice to, to have just that chunk that I was able just to put in savings. I'm so mad at myself now though, that I wasn't investing <laughs> any of this. But so, you know, for three or four years, I was not investing a single penny um, of that money. But I, would, I think that just helped me to, uh, to to see how much I was making and realize, dang, this is nothing. And and then I was taking political science courses and economics courses and seeing how things really cost in the real world now that I'm independent uh, and, and being like, oh, my gosh, this is not enough. Right. So it, 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 go ahead. So the light bulb went off basically when you were putting in perspective, like how much you were actually bringing in. So I'm assuming that's kind of what gave you the momentum to start, you know, trying to plan out a path where you can generate more income. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So um, I said, I said, I didn't start investing until uh, 21, but I, I did start a little bit in 18, but not enough. And it was just an in, in individual, I, I didn't have a, I didn't have a Roth IRA set up or anything. I was just putting it in, I think it's E-Trade back then. Um, I think I was just putting a little bit of money in E-Trade. I bought Microsoft. That was my first stock I ever bought um, just nice. because I'm a, I was an Xbox nerd. And I've, I've been a Microsoft fanboy for years. So I put I put some money. I still hold it today. That I haven't had it sold. I sold a little bit of it. But I've, I've uh, held that same stock for a while um, just because I love it. And they <clears throat> that was a good opportunity to learn. But then that was it. And that's all I did. Um, but Josh, yeah, you're right. that I, I wanted to see that money work for me. I was like, man, it's just sitting in this stupid and, and interest rates were so low then it's like 0.01. Um like, man, I'm getting a quarter for the several thousand dollars I have in here. It's ridiculous. A good emergency yeah. fund, but I, I didn't really need it at that time. Probably, emergency fund was for me then it was probably like five hundred bucks and that would have been adequate. Everything else could have been invested. Um, but you learn. So that was huge for me to like, okay, I can put this money in stocks. I didn't know anything about index funds then. I didn't learn that until I was about 21. So it took me until I graduated college. Um, when I really, my really started investing was was uh, the year I graduated college. But um, all that time in between, for sure, I was like, this money's not doing anything for me. It's just sitting here doing nothing, and that scarcity mindset kept creeping in. Like, okay, I, when when is enough? I, th- I think uh, it's important to point out as well. Like, it's easy to get caught in that trap as a college student, like I even felt the same way, like, you know, the, the stereotypical where you're a college student, you know, you don't have a lot of money coming in and you're kind of broke and you're like, Hey, I want to get things moving along. Like I'm ready to start my life. Right. Like everybody kind of can resonate with that as a college student. But I think it's important to point out that yes, investing as early as possible when it comes to the stock market is crucial and important. But at the same time, like when you're investing in education, when you're going to college, when you're taking the time, investing your time in learning crucial skills that will help you, you know, throughout the rest of your life. Like that it's, it's important to point out that that is a form of investing, right? Like you are invested. It's not like, you know, it's not a money 
like a direct money investment, as in you're going to make more money from that investment, like the stock markets. But when you are investing in your skills, like that's one of the most important investments you can ever make, right? Because you're sharpening your skills, you're sharpening the way that you understand the world. And with that, it will help you move through opportunities a lot easier as you grow up and ideally increase your earning power throughout the rest of your life. So I think it's important, especially for like a lot of college students where, you know, I get them, they, they, I get messages from college students all the time on Instagram where they're like, Hey, like I want to invest, but I only have like an extra $10 a week, you know, cause right now I'm trying to like focus on learning. I'm like, dude, just focus on your college, like focus on school. You know, there, there's going to be plenty of time for you to invest once you get that taken care of. But I, I think people do get like they start to develop that scarcity mindset at a younger age when they start to like see what's going on in the stock market, or maybe they start to like take the time to learn and then they realize that they don't have the money to invest right now. I think it's important to like just realize that you are in you are still investing in a way and it's in your own education, which is always going to be the one of the most important investments you can ever make. So um thank you for sharing that, Jack. And I'm sure that would resonate with kind of how you were thinking through that as well. Yeah, no, really, really powerful statement right there, man. So, I, and it's a very relatable story. Like, I'm pretty sure that many people listening can relate to it, right? Like, if you've been to college or you're in, you're trying to get a license, you're studying, you're going for a trade job eventually, you know, you're trying to get your skills up. And so, you might not be earning much, right? And initially, so I can certainly relate to that. When I went to college, I played Division One soccer. I was barely making money because I was practicing all the time, sometimes twice a day. Preseason was crazy. And so like my availability to work is like a tiny little window, maybe two or three hours like here and there. So I wasn't making any significant money. And I was probably spending most of that on Chinese food anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I think the advantage there, there's a huge advantage there. And because you might not start out earning a lot, especially when you're in college or in your teens, getting close to, you know, adult adulthood. You have a huge advantage because if you can manage to learn about these topics, these subjects before your earning power really increases after college, you it's almost like you know how to manage the money before you even get it, right? And so by the time it comes in, you've developed a healthier money relationship, better money blueprint. Um, you know how to kind of maneuver, like you you stated, you know, working on the budgets, balancing. These days, nobody balance checks anymore, but um, <laughs> you know, just you already have that base level foundation that improves your relationship with money. And so by the time you finish school, start working, you know how to allocate those resources. You know how to have fun at the same time, right? Because it's it's all really a, a balance and a whole life experience. So I think that's important. Hopefully a lot of people listening can relate to that and they should be able to connect to that very well. My question is, as you finished um, you know, your schooling and began working in the workforce and started earning more money, what were some of the biggest financial challenges you faced? Uh, so I went back when I graduated college, I moved in with my parents, which was a smart financial decision, not a great relationship decision. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's tough when you're, you know, you're four years of, of independence and then you move back with your parents. So I, I, that didn't last long. Um, so renting my own place with, with a little bit of savings and I'm, I was a teacher by the way. So you can look up I'm a public teacher. You can look up my salary. It was like 32,000 or something like that. Uh, the first year. And so renting my own place, insurance, uh, I, I was maxing out. I think it was in Georgia. I was teaching in Georgia and they had a great teacher retirement system. I think it was like 16% match or something. It was incredible. Uh, but and I, someone might need to fact check me out there, but uh, it was it was something like that. And uh, all the different expenses that I had now living on my own with the teacher salary was pretty tough. So navigating just, just the first few months, it wasn't tough for long. After about a year, I, I was able to 
to um, navigate it and, and build a good budget. And I, I married my, my high school sweetheart, so we were able to pull our finances together. And that, that's always helpful. Congrats. And thank you. And uh, and so we were able to go together. And, and after that, um, it ended up being pretty easy. It just took about a year just to just to navigate, you know, being stretched thin here and there, having to use savings uh, that, that I didn't want to to get. I, all I had was like a couch and a bed um, in my in my house in my rental, my first rental. But at the time, a three two was renting for six hundred in Georgia. Now you can't find anything, wow. anything like that anymore. <laughs> now that same house actually is two thousand today uh, per month. So yeah, ridiculous. But um, times were different then. But also my salary was so low that I was thankful to, to have that connection. Um, and then after, after about a year, I was able to focus more on investing. I was saving a ton of my, even though my, my salary went up slightly, um, like to 36,000, I think the second year I was able to save a lot of that because of my expenses were so low. And so I was able to, uh, at one point, I think by my second year, I was able to invest at least half my income or, or sorry, half our income with my wife, um, in my second year teaching. So, uh, that was awesome. That was a huge awakening for us. Like, dang, we can we can put 50% of our income into, into our retirement accounts or into, um, uh, into different investments that we had at the time. Uh, we, we owned a couple of businesses at that time too. So, so like some of those are, were investments for us. Did you follow like a structured plan or anything like that? Right, right at the get go, or did, was it just kind of willy nilly? Like, did you balance your budget every week and, you know, figure out how much you need for groceries, how much you need for rent insurance and stuff like that? Or, and or did or, or did that come later in life once you became more distinguished and knowledgeable about finance and whatnot? So it was already budgeting. Um, yeah. So that was already that just writing the expenses down. I guess it wasn't even budgeting really. It was more like tracking or uh, uh, someone said it. I think it was uh, Ramit Sethi. If y'all watched his Netflix show How to Get Rich, uh, he calls it conscious spending. So it was kind of like a conscious conscious spending plan. That's kind of what I was on. Uh, and for the first few months, Pierce, that's kind of what I was doing was just, all right, let's just track all my expenses right now. I can't, I don't have time to sit down and do a full on budget because uh, all these new life expenses, refrigerators, furniture, beds, all that crap. I had to focus on that. And um, after a few months, and then when, when my, my wife and I were married, um, then we got on a good budget and we were tracking to the T of uh of you know what's what's our utilities our, our grocery budget which was amazing at that time was three hundred dollars a month now it's like a thousand uh, for almost the same stuff um, but I, I remember that it was like three three hundred to four hundred a month for for that we, we made sure we had a travel budget too each year um because that was the only thing we splurge on we're pretty minimalist and the only thing we splurge on is travel um shoes clothing all that was was itemized in our budget so we were we were pretty good there that's cool. Right, shout out to you and your wife, man, because, uh, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's two unique individuals and potentially might have different upbringings, different backgrounds, different relationship with money. And so to bring that together, right, and work through the kinks of that is is, is, a, is a huge learning process because I've done it with my fiance as well. And it, took, it takes a little bit of time, right? And it's just, it's a push pull and you guys figure it out. But I think when it's just beautiful to see that teamwork cement itself over time as you guys work together and and clearly it's paid off right and and so it seems like you guys are doing all the right things there that's that's beautiful to see honestly quick question this super off topic what position did you play in football and who's your favorite player <laughs> uh, i played running back 
uh, for a while, running back slash fullback. I'm a little bit bigger running back. And then uh, then we needed some linebackers, so they switched me over. Um, in high school, I played everything. In small small mountain towns, you play everything in, in those in those type of teams. And my favorite player um, in the NFL or college? Uh, let's do NFL, because I think most people are more familiar with NFL. This would be a fun one, then. Uh, my brother plays for the 49ers, so he's my favorite player, Charlie Warner. Get out. No way. <laughs> <laughs> More world, man. That is really cool. cool stuff. <laughs> oh, no. It must have been tough. That was very tough. It, it was been, heartbreaking. It must have been fun, too, though, right? Because it's like, wow, like, you know, you, you he's in there. He's doing the thing he loved the most, probably. And I'm sure the whole family will support him. So that's that's exciting stuff, man. Oh, yeah. It's an awesome experience. I'm very, very proud of him. And he still, he still keeps a level head, too. He's still a small-town kid, just mm-hmm. living in the big-time world now. <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, I'm happy for him. Uh, Jax, like what really stands out to me is it seems like you've had a pretty good demeanor around money in general, like the concept of money, even from a young age, like the fact that you kind of realize that, you know, at a younger age that you need to sit down, kind of list things out, just, just kind of organically, right? Like you, you didn't necessarily follow some specific plan. So like, it seems like it kind of more or less came a little natural to you, uh, that the finance stuff, just money in general, like understanding the concept of money. But I'm sure throughout your teaching career, you know, as an economics teacher or just teaching these personal finance classes and building curriculum, like you're you're definitely aware that there's a lot of people who this stuff does not come natural to them, right? Like just the concept of money, like it's just mind, like it just doesn't make sense to a lot of people. And one cycle that I, I tend to see a lot of people end up in is like maybe they don't have a high earning power, or maybe they've taken on, they've made a lot of bad financial decisions in the past. They've had a lot of debt. Maybe they have a huge car loan, and you know they just feel like they can't get their head above water. And one of the big coping mechanisms that I see when people end up in that situation is they just kind of. First, they, they kind of give up where they're just like, all right, money's not for me. I just suck with money. So whenever I get some, it kind of it kind of curates that scarcity mindset where they start to fall into that. Whenever I get some, I'm just going to spend it as fast as I can to try to enjoy it, try to go on that trip. If I get a credit card offer for $1,000, cool, I'm going to take it, max it out. We're going to Puerto Rico. So I'm just curious, like maybe this, this, I know this is kind of an extreme situation, but I know a lot of Americans, a lot of people unfortunately fall into this situation. Like, what would you tell these, tell this type of person? Like if they sat down to you and like, Hey Jack, I'm tired of this. I, I want to change. Like I'm eager to change, but I just feel like I'm not meant to, you know, do good with money. Like what, what would you, what would you say to them? And I know, I know it's kind of a complex situation, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on that, how you're thinking through this. Yeah, that's okay. Cause I, I deal with that now as a financial coach. I deal with that all the time uh, with, with most of my most of my clientele are, are millennials. So there's the two different schools of thought on this. A lot of people are saving and retiring, um, or they're saving and investing for retirement. And then there's a lot of younger millennials who are about my age. They're uh, later twenties, early thirties, who are just YOLO, and they're just like, you know what? I'm not going to have enough for retirement anyway. I might as well just spend everything I can, um, and and then they end up in crazy amount of debt mm-hmm. and they're not even buying things that they enjoy. So what I tell people is, um, and sometimes budgeting is not that fun. It's not going to be fun. A lot of times it's work. It's, it's hard work, but spending money, guilt-free money when you're budgeting is so much more enjoyable than just spending it willy nilly and not having a plan for it. Uh, because, because then you have that guilt associated with whatever you're spending on. And then, especially if you're married, it's one of the, probably the biggest things, especially if you're married, There's a little bit of a marriage advice in this, in this podcast too tonight. If you, uh, <laughs> if you're spending stuff, then there's a lot of blame that goes on. Like, Oh, you spent a hundred dollars on shoes. So I'm going to go spend a hundred dollars on video games. Um, and I've done that too. 
And I, my wife and I have done that. Like you spend this much on, on the, whatever. And then so I'm going to spend this much on this thing. Um, so a little bit of revenge finance in, involved with that. If you have a plan and you're budgeting and spending, like if say you put a thousand dollars to travel each, each, uh, each two months, every, every quarter, I don't know how, how what people's budgets are for that a mm-hmm. thousand a month, just say a thousand a month. Someone's able to put a thousand a month into their travel budget. When you spend that money, it's much more enjoyable how you, you're, you can be creative with how you spend it. A lot of people I deal with dining out is a big thing um, that I try to cut them back on quickly. Cause usually they're like, they're making 45 K, but they're spending five, $600 a month on dining out. So I tell them like, don't stop dining out, but how can you, cause they don't even remember, they don't have they'll, they'll go to like McDonald's or something. It's, it's not even that special. Um, first of all, it's not nutritious at all. Second of all, it's not very memorable. So how do you make it more enjoyable and how can you make your dollar work or work for you in a way to bring more value out of that? Um, and I deal with a lot of married couples. That's for whatever reasons, that's more of my, um, my niche is young married couples and, and freelancers. It's kind of like my niche area. Sure. They, they are able to, I'll tell them like, okay, spend a hundred dollars this month on going out instead of whatever y'all have been spending on spend a hundred dollars, but make it special, make it a fun date night. Um, or make it a fun experience that you haven't done, you know, go, go take a cooking class or go do a dance class or something or go learn something together uh, instead of just wasting it at McDonald's or whatever. And nothing against McDonald's, but um, that's just it, it, people waste money there and they don't even realize it. So um, yeah. being more conscious with how you spend money and, and being able to enjoy it and, and having that guilt free part of your budget is so important. Even if you are in a little bit of debt, you should definitely leave at least twenty five dollars. I know people that have twenty five dollars in a guilt free budget. And they go spend it on something fun. That way, they're not just stressing out, trying to pay off debt or trying to uh, do whatever they're trying to do in their in their financial journey. Having that guilt free part is a huge proponent of any healthy budget. I'm glad. I'm glad you stated some of those things because you know, similar to what Josh was saying, if somebody doesn't have a huge earning power or decent amount to even keep up with inflation, it's a little bit challenging, right? To enjoy life and still have the debt looming over you, your bills looming over you. Everybody's trying to just extract everything, every penny that you earn, it's hard to kind of and find the fun in the life and get the experiences. So you gave some really good examples there. And I also love, you know, how you, you, how you stated it in terms of spending guilt-free money, right? It's so much more enjoyable because budgeting for fun is just as important as budgeting for the bills, for the debt, for investing. And it seems like, you know, we have a lot in common, actually. It's, it's, it's like, I'm kind of almost listening to my own life in a lot of ways, <laughs> you know, it's like, we're living the same life in different States and different bodies. And then, and I know you and your wife love traveling, which is something I enjoy quite a bit as well uh, with my lady. And so what are some of your favorite trips? Like, where have you been? Like, what is the, the top three trips that you've been on that you're like, yeah, I really enjoyed this entire experience. This might be time for another podcast with us. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, man, I've had, we've had some amazing trips. Uh, some of my my favorite trips for cost efficiency, but also for fun during COVID was awesome because we were getting the cheapest flights uh, from Asheville, North Carolina, or uh, at the, sorry, from Atlanta, Georgia to to Denver were like 60 bucks at the time. I remember we rented for about 10 days. We rented a car for about nine bucks and we're just going throughout the uh, Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, nine nice. bucks for like this huge SUV. And they said, they just wow. said, pick anyone you want at the time. Now it's like $300 a day. Um, but we also, one of my favorite trips too, was a, a trip we took to Mexico and this is also during COVID. So it was really cheap. Um, and it was, it was about 1500 bucks for everything. And we were there for about nine days 
and uh, it, was, it was part of our guilt-free travel budget. So it, everything, were, it, in fact, we were under budget, budgeted out 1600 We went under budget 1500 so we were able to do an extra excursion, um, which was even more fun. So it was like an extra surprise because of that. Um, but that was so much fun because we were we went out in town and we just went in with the locals too. And Mexican culture is so awesome. That's why we're going back to Mexico again. I just love Mexican culture <laughs> and being they're all they're they're such happy people. Yeah, um, yeah. That I love being around them, and I just want to be around them more because they make me feel good. And I want to be around. I feel like I love it. There's a lot of happy <laughs> Americans, but right now Americans are a little. Many of them are are very. Uh, I don't know. I want to. Say, I don't want to say a word and upset somebody, but it's almost. I feel sad sometimes because there's a lot of tense. There, tense there's a lot of American frustration. Culture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of frustration, a lot of blame, and a lot of like. If if one of us is doing well, somebody might say, "Well, you had daddy's money, or you had mm-hmm. some some other kind of outside influence that helped to get where you're at," and then they don't they don't ever think about the hard work that you put in. Um, so yeah, the Mexican people are so much fun, but. Probably my most memorable trip is we quit when I quit teaching. We took a six month, seven month break and we did van life um, where we lived in the van. We sold all of our stuff and gave the rest of the way and uh, sold our vehicles, everything. And we took our dog and we got in the van and we, we traveled the West for seven months. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was a fun trip, but we had a lot of issues because there's just, if you look up van life, there's all types of problems. I mean, living in a, in a small 20 square foot van together. Um, so it's not as glamorous was, as Instagram it, makes it out to be. <laughs> yes. And, and we did all that. We studied it for a year. We budgeted it out for a year. This is so important mm-hmm. to have a, we had a super healthy emergency fund for this. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I sent you some of that information, Josh, but we had, we made sure we had, if anybody's listening to this, have a strong emergency fund. If you plan on traveling for a long time and not working much, uh, I was working like six hours uh, a week or so at that time, just doing some consulting here and there. And some writing, some financial article writing. Um, so it wasn't making much money. But what we also like, we worked hard. We were owning businesses. We were um, we were still having our full time jobs too. So for for six years, from from twenty one to uh, whenever we started traveling, twenty seven or ish, twenty seven or something like that. Um, so when we started traveling full time. We were like, okay, we don't want to work much. We have a good emergency fund. Our retirement stuff is maxed out. Right now is a good time to just do this and. Um, so much fun just to see the country. We were all over the place, Montana for a few months, Idaho, Colorado, Utah, um, South Dakota, just all those different areas. And man, it was, so, it was so fun and so memorable to, to get all that. But by the seventh month around Thanksgiving, we we're missing our family. They're all back in the <laughs> South and, and uh, we we're sick of being in the van at that time. We had some breakdowns too with the vans, but um, we were ready to get back at that point. We knew that we knew we were going to do van life forever. So it was a good time. Uh-huh. No, I love it. I love it. It's always cool to see people traveling and and hearing their stories and what they experience because many of us don't actually get that. Don't many of us don't get the opportunity to get out of our own state, or we kind of live in this shell that you know we're basically kind of stuck. Like we're here and that's it, right? But the more we're able to get out, interact with different backgrounds, different cultures, different sceneries, right? Like just you need to, you need that experience. Those are all investments that enrich your entire life. And, you know, you, it helps you get a deeper meaning to life and also connect with others. And so traveling always, you know, it doesn't always mean big extravagant trips that cost you an arm and a leg that you have to then come back and work double shifts for six months just to pay it off. Right. Like budgeting helps. 
and there are plenty of ways to enjoy life. And, and Jack has been highlighting a bunch of these things throughout. Mexico is also one of my favorite spots. I love it. Every time I go there, I make sure I get with the locals and I go get some real tacos right from the street, <laughs> okay. from the locals and just and, and sit there and just enjoy and take it all in. You know, and it, I love the van life story and the experiences you've had with that, right? Because I that's something too. you don't hear all the time or often, or some people might think it's not possible, but there are ways to go about these things, you know? So I, I'm just enjoying, I'm, I'm loving this episode. Man. Like <laughs> it's really cool to see everything play out. And just even throw out here, um, I, I think it's also important to note for the listeners, like this is what you, this is what options open up to you when you start to like really take your finances yeah. more intentionally, right? Like, of course it's going to be difficult. Like right when you're starting, of course, it's going to be hard to change your financial habits, your spending habits. Like that's the hardest part of this game is rewriting, rebuilding your spending habits. But like, once you do, once time passes, like as you continue to go throughout your financial journey, more options are just going to open up to you, right? So like if you're 27, like let's say you start taking money seriously at 25, right? Well, it might take a couple of years for you to build that foundation, to build some stability in your life. But after that, like once you start to get an emergency fund saved up, once you start to get rid of some of that debt, that's feeling like you're being held back because of those, those crazy credit card debt or whatever debt you might have. Once you get past that, like life just gets a lot more enjoyable, right? Like you can actually flow through and have these options where like, Hey, if you want to take six months where, you know, if you have like six months of emergency funds saved up and you have a little bit more of a flexible job, like you have more options to kind of travel and, and enjoy life a little bit more than you wouldn't that than you would if you didn't actually take money seriously, right? Like if you were just kind of going through the motions and taking any credit card debt or just not even really caring about money in general, like it's going to be harder to make those moves later on in life. If you want to take a six month break or even a year, like the cool thing that really stands out to me is like Jack was able to do these, these memorable trips that are, that he's never going to forget, right? This is like ingrained in his life. And I'm sure it's shaped much who he is today by having that, that flexibility to be able to go with his wife for six months and just do something that a lot of people would be like, whoa, why are you doing that? Like, that's kind of out of the ordinary, but like he gets to do whatever he wants because he has control of his financial situation. So like, if that isn't a big enough advocate to start taking this money game seriously, I don't really know what it is, but I will say, Jack, I'm kind of curious just to get more insights on um, how you, like how you directly explain money to, to people, right? So like, you know, when I, I kind of circling back to like the original question, I just want to dive a little bit deeper. Like how, how do you try to articulate, you know, I, I love the concept of, you know, every dollar you, you get essentially that's, that can bring you a certain amount of value, right? So like, if you just go and spend it on McDonald's, like, of course you're going to get McDonald's in the moment. And maybe that's what you really wanted in the moment. But if you were able to, or willing to kind of, you know, maybe make some food at home instead and save that 15, 20 bucks. Like the next time you go out to eat, you'll have an additional 20 bucks that maybe you would have just went to McDonald's again. Now, now you'll have like potential $40 of spending power that you can go somewhere a little bit nice, a little bit more memorable. And it, it, to me, it, it seems like your philosophy is more about spending money to have a deeper experience compared to just spending money without intention. Is that kind of like an accurate sentiment around like your philosophy of money? Definitely. I think there's so many people wasting money on things that they don't really enjoy. People buy nice clothes and they don't really like clothes or people buy nice cars, but they're not really car people. Um, they're putting you know, huge car payments down and they don't really love the car. I mean, they they might, they need the car, but they don't really love cars. And I know some car people and that's fine if they want to spend money on cars, but don't waste money in all these other categories. So if you, some people might look at me, I, I love hiking. They might look at me spending $150 on good trail runners. That's crazy. That's stupid. 
but I don't, I don't spend money. I don't have a TV. I don't spend money on subscriptions. I don't spend money going out to eat much. Um, so that's, it's different values. So, so spend money on what you value and what brings you joy and don't waste cut spending. If you can eliminate spending and all those other crappy areas that doesn't really bring you value. Um, so that's my big philosophy on it. No, that makes sense. So would you, would you essentially tell people that one of the biggest things is just just get serious about like what you say you value out of life? Cause I, the only thing I, the only pushback that I would see that I've, that I've heard from people is like, okay, well I do value having a nice car and I do value having the nicest clothes. And to me, like a lot of it stems into deeper issues of like, okay, but why? Right. Like that's my, that's always my question. Let's yeah. dig a little bit deeper because a lot of it can stem from people are just trying to kind of impress random strangers impress their friend group. And then you start to ask the questions of like, okay, well, if you're buying these new shoes or whatever that are like three hundred dollars, and you you know you're ultimately buying it, like you even told me, is because you want to impress your your friend group or your or your network. Like, is spending your money and going broke to buy these new shoes to impress your friend group really worth it? Like, are these people like if you feel obligated to spend this money to impress these people? Like, are these even people you really want to surround yourself around? Right? Like, it it, it kind of gets to like a deeper, um, more meaningful question. But like, I'm just curious, like as well as. Do you encourage people when you're when you're talking with them to like just get serious about what they truly value? Because of course that could take time and even maybe years to like you know trial and error and kind of like figuring out who you, what you what identity you want to build, even what identity you want to build. Uh, but yeah, do you have any insight for for people who are trying to figure out what they value most in life? Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts around that. Yeah, so <clears throat> I don't do much life coaching, but sometimes <laughs> sometimes financial coaching leads to that. Um, it so it's it's kind of natural, but uh, to mention to to comment on what you just said, Josh, about about impressing, trying to impress people. If you're buying clothes to try to impress your friend group, you need to find a new friend group. Um, that's not a good friend group to have. If, if everybody's just trying to buy new clothes or show off their new their new toy or whatever they're buying, that's not really that might bring a little bit of joy in that moment, but it, lasting joy, it's not it's not going to happen. Um, it's in fact, it might just make you more sad. Um, so. Really focusing, and usually it's it might be easier for men. So sorry for any women listening because they might have several interests. That's that's a that's a strength for women. Men usually have like a couple of strengths. I mean, we can only focus on. I was just talking with the men's group today tonight. We can only focus on one thing at a time. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm hoping I'm speaking for myself, but most men are really good <laughs> at doing one thing at a time. There's there's yeah. like three things going on. It's a wash. <laughs> it's not going to yep. happen. Um, so men are a little bit easier because they usually only have like one or two things they value or not, I shouldn't say value, but one or two things they really enjoy that they could spend a little bit more money on. And then like four or five things they could probably cut out. Um, so when I'm dealing with couples, it adds in that dynamic of the man and the woman. And hopefully that since they are married, that they do have some areas that they do agree with and they, do, they could spend more money on and, and enjoy those experiences more. Um, and I'll, I'll try to find those too. Um, usually I can figure it out pretty quick when I'm looking at their budget and what they've been spending money on. It's usually the, the, people do it naturally. They're almost spending more money on it already, but how can they do it more consciously and how can they cut out other spending so they can spend more on, um, on what they enjoy and what, what will bring them value in the future. So, so Jack, as a financial coach, I, what is the most common question that you get from people? Because I'm curious, because I'm I'm assuming people here would ask a very similar question. I'm just curious, what question is that? Are you a finance advisor? <laughs> That's the biggest question. And sometimes people call me that. I don't, I don't correct them, but I, I will say that since I'm not registered with the SEC, I can't handle people's, I can't pick a stock for somebody. 
mm-hmm. um, and, and control their investments. I can teach them everything about it. And I can even guide them through the process, but I can't actually do right. the do the manage their the money. For execution. Yeah, right. Yeah. Which I'm happy. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. So that's, that's, yeah, that's a headache. <laughs> yes, I want to. I'm hoping to empower people to do it. Sorry, Pierce. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, do you feel that that like that's what most people want though, is just to have their money to give to somebody else so they don't have to worry about it, so they don't have to learn the concepts and stuff like that to to really grow their money. Is that like a common thing you you find? Uh, with the clients I work with, they want to because I, I do consultations first, and so I try to empower more. But the way I market too, I try to empower them and show them like. I hate going against the traditional finance industry, but I am right now. I don't like how traditional finance advisors are set up. And I think that's a that's a time of the past. And we have moved on because I um I think Robinhood had Robinhood the investment app. I think they had it they said it best on on one of their mottos one time. We we democratized uh investing in finances. And I like that. I like that saying. I don't know if they stand by it anymore, but I still like that motto and that saying because it's so true. We don't need to pay somebody 1.5% of your assets under management anymore, because you can do it yourself. Um, one of my favorite books by JL Collins, The Simple Path to Wealth, amazing book. And he he teaches it how you can do it yourself. It's it's so much simpler than, than the finance bros and the finance industry takes it or makes it out to be for younger people. Um, they they want to make it confusing because they want you to pay them. So my job, my role is to hopefully help people Teach them that it's not that scary and it's not that complex. Um, and if you, you can make it as basic and as least stressful as you want to be, but you can also make it as stressful as you want to be. Um, so I, I want to hope that or my mission as a financial coach and, and finance educator is to uh, empower people more so they, they know they can do it themselves. And even if and this is not a, a stab at all financial financial advisors either. There's some great ones out there. I'm, par- I'm partnered with several of them, too. Um, that I that I lean on for uh, advice and other things because there's some things I can't do and I'll have to I need somebody to pass on my clients to or pass on a lead to. Um, so, and not a staff to work financial advisors, but people should know even if they go to finance finance advisor route or asset manager route, they should still know and ask the questions um, that that the financial advisor probably isn't used to being asked. That they should know what's going on with their money, even if they decide to. I don't want to know about it. Just, just do these investments. Um, I, I disagree with that. So I want people to know and understand what's going on with their money. Very yeah. awesome, dude. I appreciate you ask, uh, answering that question. I mean, the one thing for that I think for most people is that they just cannot conceptualize <laughs> how how to manage it because you know at least you know when you're making minimum wage they think okay i'm not making a whole bunch of money so it doesn't matter how much money i spend right now but i don't i think it really does not matter like kind of what boffy was touching on it doesn't matter how much you make it just it develops these concepts and these habits and stuff like that in order to get you into a better trajectory later on so thank you for that you're welcome it's a good question yeah and and jack just to add like i, I really appreciate all the work you're you're doing out there because it it's definitely aligned with my general philosophy when it comes to trying to empower people with money, uh, money management concepts, and just in general investing concept as well. Because thankfully, we're we're living in a time where it's never been easier to learn and to get started. Like there's so many resources out there on the internet nowadays um, to where it's it's very easy to learn if you are intentional and wanting to learn, right? And that's the key part because. 
there are a lot of people out there where like maybe they have somewhat of an interest, but they're just not quite at that point to like really start diving into that rabbit hole, like kind of going down that rabbit hole. And for me, like I'm, you know, I, I get that. I, I hate to trash on financial advisors because I, I definitely think they're still needed in society because there's still a huge segment of people who just want nothing to do with money, right? Like they don't want to, they don't want to even think about it, right? And so, like, there is a place for it, but I completely agree that I think the compensation structures are a little, a little sketchy, in my opinion. Like, I, I think it could be uh, better aligned with with clients' best interests rather than trying to put them in the highest funds that gives them the most compensation. You know, there's just some, there's, there's some compensation alignment problems that I see personally. Um, and it's also what makes all the work that you do, Jack, uh, the work that we do at the market hustle, uh, with, uh, even our money circle group, uh, with Buffy and Pierce, like it just makes all the work that we're doing so much more important for the people who are interested in learning them. Like they want to understand, right. They, they want to understand the dynamics of how this, this game works. They don't want to just be told what to do. They want to understand how to do it themselves, right? People, want to be empowered. And luckily, we're, we're entering an age where that's becoming easier to do with apps that are more user friendly. And of course, like there's a lot of uh, backlash on Robinhood of, oh, oh, well, you know, you're making it a casino and, and you're encouraging people to, you know, just gamble away their money. But at the same time, like it's also, you know, we, we can't just look at the bad sides. Like it's also encouraged an entirely new demographic to take investing seriously and to actually, you know, start investing for their future rather than just thinking it's not for them. Right. So we have to remember that part as well. Like, of course, there's going to be pros and cons when things get easier, like when there's less friction. Um, people have there's there's a, there's a complete financial literacy you know, pandemic, if you will, in America, where there's just so many people who don't understand the simple difference between an asset and liability. And unfortunately, we live in a culture that hasn't really made an importance of that in an education. And luckily, I do see it changing. Like, I mean, there's more people every day coming to my page um, on the Market Hustle and just going through general resources, like just going on YouTube. Like, that's why there's so many of these financial resources popping up is because the demand is increasing, right? Like people want to learn this stuff. And to me, that's very encouraging because I think the more people understand how money works and how to get it to work in their own life, I think we're going to see a lot more happiness because people will be able to move in life a lot more uh, easier, right? Like there's going to be less friction in their own life if they understand how to budget, how how to align their spending with things they truly value and the dangers of debts, like, you know, debt doesn't look as scary when, when they tell you it's only like a, you know, 7% interest rate, you're like, oh, what's that? You know, but it, over time, if you understand the compound effect, like that adds up, right? Like, so like when you understand these basic concepts that just aren't always intuitive, um, it, it, to me, it's going to, it, it kind of like might launch a new renaissance where we're going to have a more financially enlightened uh, world. And I think people will be able to have a lot less struggle doing so. So like I, I'm super optimistic about it and I'm excited to kind of see it all play out. And again, Jack, I, I can't thank you enough for being an advocate of trying to empower people, individuals and in learning about these concepts, because to me, they are super important. And what we say often on this podcast, like money management is life management, right? Money management is life management. So if you don't spend the time to learn how to manage your money, your life's going to be a lot more difficult, right? You're going to be playing life on hard mode. And if you want to play it on hard mode, you know, more power to you. For me, I'm not going to play it on hard mode. I'm going to try to find the the cheat codes, if you will, like how to invest <laughs> my money and how to flow through life a little bit easier. And I hope a lot of other people do as well. Uh, but we are approaching that one hour mark. So I'd love to just quickly do um, maybe just like a 30 second to 60 second, you know, just give us your final thoughts, maybe um, help our audience 
you know, a lot of our audience are newer investors. So maybe just give them a, a best tip, if you will, to help them help empower them along their their financial journey. Uh, so we'll start with you, Jack, and then Pierce and Buffy. We can we can all give just the audience a a note of empowerment mm-hmm. or or a tip to help make their investment or financial journey a little bit easier. Okay. Uh, I think the biggest thing that people are, the biggest boundary or barrier to investing is the intimidation factor. Um, so I would say to everybody, if, if that's your boundary, if that's what's if that's what's preventing you from investing, just put it in a small amount at first. Put in it enough that will make you learn. They'll make you a little bit more engaged and connected with that investment. Pick something safe. Just pick a, a Vanguard index fund and put a little bit into that. Or, or if you have a 401k, whatever you have uh, set up with your employer, use that and just put a little bit at a time. Don't put everything in. If, that, if you're just so worried about, oh, the stock market's going to crash uh, tomorrow and the US is going to collapse, just put a little bit in. If <laughs> I talk to people all the time that they're like, well, what if the whole US collapses? Like, well, you're not going to worry about money anyway. Um, so <laughs> you might as well. Um, that you won't, we won't be worrying about US dollars or anything like that. You might as well just uh, go find a water source. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's that people are like, oh, I should buy gold. I should buy all this. And that's, and that's all fine, but just start small. Don't try to freak out and try to buy Bitcoins and try to buy everything else. Just stick with the basics. Uh, you follow like two or three guys on Instagram or, or girls on Instagram that kind of fit your your mold and your values and learn from them. I mean, there's, there's so many people. I like Joshua, I like what you said. I, I used to be pessimistic about financial literacy and I feel like I'm on the edge now. I'm, I feel like I'm tipping over to be more optimistic. Um, and I get in uh, all my Instagram is curated, just finances and then like a couple of like sports pages and that's about it. So I've been following you for about a, a year now and I feel like I get an echo chamber and then I get out in the real world. I'm like, oh, man, it's, it's horrible out here. <laughs> um, but then I get, I see people commenting, commenting on finance pages like yours. I'm like, okay, it's a little bit better than I thought. It's a little bit better than I thought. And to see more and more people, and, and it's such a need that some people feel like that the financial uh, social media is is um, saturated, but I don't think it's enough because there's so many different ways to do it. Um, there's so many people, that, there's so many different ways to follow. Like somebody somebody might learn something from me that won't, wouldn't learn something from Josh and vice versa um, and from you guys too. So I think it's so important to get out there and to continue to, to do what you guys are doing. So I'm thankful to be here. And I know it's longer than 30, 60 seconds, but I wanted to, to throw you guys in there too. Appreciate you, man. No, it's pure wisdom. So feel, we're, we're good with the top name. I appreciate you with, with, with all your insights. And just to kind of add as well for people who haven't made that initial jump, like the thing is, I, I, what I see a lot of people do is that they, or even the questions I get is like, how do I gain more confidence with investing? And to me, it's like the only way to gain confidence is to do something, right? Like you're not going to gain confidence by mm-hmm. reading. You're going to gain confidence by actually taking action and getting your your feet in the water, if you will, right? So of course, you know, you don't. It's it's not like just go throw all of your money at some random stock. Like do some homework, right? But at the same time, don't waste time. Like the sooner you get started, the sooner you invest in your first stock, or even just throw twenty five bucks in the stock market, the sooner you're going to start to experience the ebbs and flows of the market and start to deeply understand how this game works and just how the invest world kind of moves. And the longer you start to have your money invested in the stock market, the more confidence you're naturally going to gain because you're going to be taking action and actually gaining experience, which builds confidence, right? You can't just bypass that. You have to jump in eventually and and, and actually gain experience. It's, it's like, it's similar to like, you know, if somebody was trying to learn how to work out and they're sitting here like, hey, how do I like, how do I get good at doing push-ups or whatever? Like you can read all you want about how to do 
great pushups and how to have good te- techniques. There's there's hundreds of different uh, versions of how to do pushups. Like I'm sure every there's so many different opinions on like different styles of pushups, but you'll never completely learn until you actually do your first pushup, right? So the same yeah. applies to the investing world and just finance in general. Like you kind of just have to make the jump initially. And again, you can always change your strategy down the road. Like the, the strategy that the first stock you buy, the first index fund you buy, uh, the first strategy you really implement into your, your situation, that doesn't have to be your forever, you know, <laughs> thing that you stick to. Like you can always adjust it as you learn and go throughout your financial journey, which odds are you're going to do that because you learn, the more you learn, the more you're going to adapt your style. And of course, the older you get, the more you're going to adapt your style as well. Uh, but yeah, Jack, thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's that's incredible advice and advice. And I really hope people who are listening take that to heart and hopefully inspires a couple of people to buy their first stock after this podcast. That being said, uh, yeah. Bafi, uh, how about you? What, what would your advice uh, be for somebody who is, you know, just getting started on this journey? Yeah, uh, start as you are, right? Start as you are. And that begins with your mindset. So continue listening to this podcast and following the right educational contents because you have the access, you have the resources. Before, it used to cost an arm and a leg just to get this information, right? You used to have to pay somebody thousands of dollars just to get this information. Now you get it for free. And unfortunately, many of us haven't identified or learned to value certain things unless we pay for it. But this is one of those things that is priceless. I mean, the the benefits of it goes beyond just your life. It, It enhances your contribution to society at large, right? And so definitely start as you are. And the clock is only taken in one direction. Like Josh said, it doesn't stop. It doesn't care what your circumstances are. You might say, oh, well, I'll wait till X, Y, and Z. I'll wait till my income is better. I'll wait till I do this. While you're waiting, the clock is ticking and these stock prices and index prices are going up, <laughs> you know? Um, so, you know, even personally, first investment I made was with $16 at the age of 20. And 10 years later, my portfolios make more money each year than I make of my nine to five, right? And that's really the power of this game. So start as you are and invest for long-term, but don't get fixated on the end result. Focus on where you are and what you can control and compound interest will take care of the rest. Beautifully said, man. Thank you so much for that wisdom. Pierce, how about you, my friend? Start as early as you can with Everything. I mean, I I don't just mean with, you know, opening up a retirement account, opening up a, you know, a Vanguard account or, you know, just a normal brokerage account, but start learning about these concepts because the sooner you get these things ingrained into you, the easier it is to, to go on later in life, to be able to, to do these things. Like if you get started with a budget at the age of 18, like I did, right. It's easier now sitting back three years later saying, oh, okay, well now it's just, you know, it's just normalcy. And so, and, and I mean, it, it's even more when it comes to retirement and stuff like that, because the earlier you start, the earlier you finish, like the more money you will have later on. And so that's why I think it's, it's super important for people to start investing early and, you know, growing the retirement account super early because, you know, in my situation, I, I want to be done working by 35 years old. And so I have 14 years from now. And so in that 14 years, I have to make sure that my money compounds and I grow my knowledge because when I get to that point, I'm going to have nothing else to do except for just learn more. So, I mean, my advice is just start as early as you can. I mean, hopefully after this, it doesn't matter really what age you are. If you don't have a retirement account set up at 35 years old, set up a retirement account. It's better than what you would have if you didn't. So that's my advice. Start as early as you can, man. I love that. I love that. 
Well, Jack, uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on this podcast. I greatly appreciate your time for coming on this podcast, uh, speaking with the Market Hustle community, and being willing to share your experiences uh, while being transparent as well. So I can't thank you enough. And uh, where's a good place that the Market Hustle community can uh, follow you at? Thanks so much, Josh, for having me. This, this has been awesome. I, I was, this, I think it's my first podcast. I think I've had some interviews, but no like podcast format. So this has been a lot of fun. I definitely want to, awesome. if y'all ever do repeat guest i would love to be back on um but everybody can i just started social media so don't don't hate me. <laughs> I, 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 I it's just I like investing of, man it's just like investing right. you gotta start right. somewhere right yeah um you can follow me at jack teaches finance and uh, I only, i'm only on instagram but i just i just restarted it uh, after uh, i had like a 12 year break from social media which was awesome um the only reason i started is because i wanted to do i wanted to reach out more um in social media so uh, but also this, this has been awesome. I, anybody listening, continue to listen, get other people to listen to this podcast. There's a bunch of great financial podcasts. This one's unique in a way. Uh, the market also, Josh has done a great job because and it's, it's really attracted me more to it. Um, because I was able to, I'm able to, to get information from people from all walks of life. Um, a lot of financial podcasts will just focus on expert, which is good. It's, it's awesome, especially for nerds like us. But for anybody just starting out this podcast series that Josh has been doing and um, and the Market Hustle community, that if you can just reach out to other people, because you're going to hear from all types. I think one of my favorite podcasts you've done so far was with the, uh, I can't think of his name, but the finance guy from Ireland. Um, Paul. Oh, yeah, it's Paul. Paul, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. It was nothing like finance. I mean, it was finance driven, obviously, because that's the, that's the theme of, the, of your show. But it was so cool to hear from a finance or from a fitness Just background too. Different um, angle, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And I think that's so important for anybody that's that this, I think this would help a beginner to listen to this type of podcast and, and hear all types of, of stories and backgrounds from people from all walks of life um, and, and how in their financial journey. So thanks again for having me. Of course, I greatly appreciate those kind words, Jack. And yes, market hustle committee, make sure you go give him a follow. We'll leave his uh, handle uh, in the bio of the podcast. But it's cool because like he's just starting out his journey in the social media world. So he's mastered the finance, the investing world, but now he's starting into this new domain. And I hope Market Hustle Committee, do me a favor, go follow him so we can watch him all grow together as he grows throughout his journey. Uh, it's going to be great to see. And Jack, I'll tell you this, like I think your voice is needed in this community more so than ever. Um, you have a lot of deep insights into how this game kind of works. And like you touched on earlier... Uh, somebody might be able to learn a lot from me, but just because, you know, we, we all have like different perceptions or just ways of communicating these topics. So like the more people that we can have in the finance community teaching this stuff, the better, because we're all going to be able to learn from different experiences and just different philosophies, right? Because like the one thing that I want to touch more on in this podcast is to get more into the nuances of things, right? Because personal finance is called personal finance for a reason because it's personal. And there's a lot of generalizations that are made, but there's also exceptions that may, that might take place in your life. And I hope to expose more of that in this podcast in the future. So Jack, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I want to let Boffy and Pierce let any final notes. Uh, we'll start with Boffy. Do you have any final notes for the audience or for Jack as we kind of conclude the podcast? Man, Jack, I'm excited and thanks for joining us. And I'm happy that you're on social media as well, right? Because the more we can provide value to the audience, to the public, to the you know community at large, the better. And so I'm excited to watch you grow and see how everything develop. Um, this has been a whole lot of fun, very relatable, such a great energy, great guy down to earth. And, and 
oftentimes you tend to have there tends to be this stigma of people that are doing well financially are disconnected right from the rest of the world or from the population and and clearly as you can see with this podcast and this episode right here we have four great individuals that are doing their best to help move the needle forward but we have not lost that fabric of life and connection to the audience and the people and jack brings just as much as that as anybody else out there so yeah go give him a follow I don't know how I can ever top Boffy, dude. I can't ever. <laughs> He's a philosopher. Dude, he really is. But no, Jack, I mean, I really do appreciate what you're doing. I mean, me as I mean, we're all learning in our financial journey, but it, it's super, super fun for me to be able to tune into these podcasts, you know, sitting here right now and being able to listen to what you say, because as a financial coach, a lot of the things that you say, I'm like, OK, cool. I could do that in my life to change because I don't have a wife, but I have a, you know, a, a girlfriend of four years now and I'm super blessed to have her. And so, you know, being able to do these things about budgeting and stuff like that, like that's one thing I'm trying to teach her is how to budget and whatnot. So I appreciate your 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 sight on, you know, the couples thing. You know, I really do appreciate that. So I hope everyone listens to this podcast, man, and I hope they learn something new from it because I for sure did. Beautifully said, man. Well, thank everybody for listening. This concludes episode 14. This was a fun one. And do me a quick favor. Uh, Whatever podcast platform you're listening to, go give us five stars on this podcast so we can continue to boost up the algorithm. We got to boost through these algorithms of the podcasts so more people can find our community. But it's been a great pleasure of mine to continue to host these podcasts. I can't wait to bring many, many more. And please, please, please continue to send me messages on Instagram, The Market Hustle, to give us your feedback and to even if you're interested in coming on, like we want to have people from the community come on these podcasts. So send a message to me, let me know. And thank you so much for everybody coming in. Thank you for our co host, Pierce, Buffy, and Jack. Once again thank you for coming on it's been a pleasure to have you if you feel just like i do link up come and join this crew hey i'ma go invest and i'ma watch my money double take it to another level with that market hustle always play it smart you ain't dealing with a sucker take it to another level with that market hustle i'ma hustle hustle with that market hustle i'ma hustle hustle with that market hustle i'ma hustle hustle with that market hustle, I'm a hustle, hustle, with that market hustle, go!